0: This is the EWN Podcast Network.
1: Welcome to Change, Redefining Success, the podcast designed to inspire you and give you actionable information to enhance, up-level, reimagine, and reinvent your life and your livelihood. No matter where you started, where you are now, or where you've been, you too can lead an authentic, first-class life each week new stories of turning points and transformation will help you define what success means to you so you can live your best life on your terms. Now, here's your host, first-class life mentor and certified profiting from your passions coach, Kate Fessler. Welcome to Change, Redefining Success. I'm your host, Kate Fessler. This week, my guest is international speaker, best-selling author, coach, and brand profit builder, Anne Bennett. Anne is the founder of Anne Bennett Marketing and uses her marketing and branding genius to help women entrepreneurs, and a few good men, build their standout personal brands and boost their profits. Anne works with purpose-driven entrepreneurs who do transformational work so they can liberate and ignite their unique genius and authentic voice and build a profitable brand platform. Anne has 25 years experience in visual and graphic design and has brought her talents to many major magazines, from Popular Mechanics to Vogue, where the devil really does wear Prada. Anne's personal slogan and the cornerstone of all her programs is, it's smart to fit in, but it's brilliant to stand out, so be unapologetically you. Welcome, Anne. Thank you, Kate. Thank you so much for having me. Let's go back to your beginnings. You did visual and graphic design work for magazines as diverse as Popular Mechanics and Vogue. What were you doing for them? Well, you know, I started as
0: a designer in uh, magazines, and then I moved up to the art director position. So if people don't know what that is exactly. So as a designer, you take all of the photography, the story, um, how it's laid out in the magazine, and put it all together so it looks good. So when you open the pages of Vogue or you open the pages of Us Magazine or, you know, people have worked hours putting those pages together so that the story really um, is is touching to whoever is reading the story. So that's really what I was doing. And then as an art director, you actually go and – Uh, you're in the studio with the models or if you're on set, wherever you are on location and you're shooting the photography for the magazine as well Mm. and and directing the designers to actually um, lay the pages out. And sometimes you lay the pages out. So it's just a higher level of control over what the story is going to
1: look like, feel like, and sound like. So I imagine that it's not much different, whether it is Popular Mechanics or Vogue, in the way that you approach putting the magazine together, because there's probably a flow, right, that, that is preferable. Yeah definitely.
0: yeah, definitely there's a flow to, to a story and there's a flow to the magazine. So it's laid out page by page in a kind of a big map, almost like what you would um, plan anything out in. Stories can move around and jump around a bit depending on what the flow actually is in the story. The difference in working for somebody like um, Popular Mechanics or somebody like Vogue is in the design, in the choice of typefaces, color, um, look and feel. Obviously, if you're doing Popular Mechanics, it's a little more action oriented, boy, kind of male. male, if you will, in terms of the, the, the feel of it. If mm-hmm. you're at Vogue, it's kind of quite the opposite, polar opposite. It's more feminine, soft, uh, beautiful, open, high-end kind of feel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The typefaces, the stories, the photographs, everything that goes together. So, you know, it's it's interesting because that type of background really lends it to the work that I'm doing today, which is really about uncovering your hidden story and how to create a fascination, how other people see you as fascinating, and then how to create a story, a look and a feel, all of that goes into the brand and the message.
1: Mm-hmm. I watched the movie, The September Issue. So is that a pretty <laughs> accurate portrayal of uh, <laughs> what it's yeah. like to work at Vogue? Yeah, That's so great that you watched that. It took me, I had stopped
0: working for them probably, gosh, a good five or seven years before I could watch it because it was exactly what it's like to work there. So if any of your listeners have ever uh, looked at that, that's actually what I consider the, the quintessential documentary of what
1: it would be like to work at Vogue. And that actually was a documentary, as opposed to The Devil Wears Prada, which was somewhat fictionalized. But in your experience, how accurate was that movie? Well, you know, it's it's interesting. People ask me that all the time,
0: right? Because they're always like, oh, Anna Wintour, and it just seemed like she was really difficult, and this and that. And um, first of all, I actually was working there when the woman who was working for Anna Um, wrote the book. Oh. So I knew her and I knew the situation pretty well. And I think, you know, um, she is a very um, dynamic and strict ruler of her kingdom. She's got a lot of moving parts. Uh, When you're the editor-in-chief, you have everybody. You're at the top of the pyramid and everybody is underneath you. Designers, writers, artists, artists, Photographers, that kind of thing. You're basically the CEO of the magazine. So um, to answer your question, um, in The Devil Wears Prada, they actually made her nicer than she is. And one thing that I'll say about her, she's she's a very powerful woman, for one. For two, uh, probably the most powerful woman in the fashion industry in the world. Mm-hmm. And for two... She knows how to run a very tight organization where she's extremely efficient. So when Anna was going to show up and we were to present to her what we'd worked on for the magazine for the day, you dropped everything and you ran to the presentation room and we were all in there chatting or whatever. And then as soon as she walked into the room, it was like, boom, quiet. Mm -hmm. People just knew how to what was expected, how to act, and how to be, and, and she ran it that way very, very efficiently and got some great work, so, you know, I think it's a great magazine, I think it's, um, for me, was the funnest and most exciting
1: place I ever worked, I loved, really loved that job. You were in downtown New York City on 9-11. Tell me about your experience and what effect that had on you.
0: Oh, wow. Um, that's such an amazing experience. Um, I know that 9-11 was big for everyone worldwide, and in particularly everybody in the U.S., and also, uh, obviously, for the New Yorkers, myself, that were there. Uh, it was basically unbelievable, for sure, Um, I was coming, actually coming out of my favorite coffee store and going, walking up Fifth Avenue to go to work. And I turned to see the first plane hit the World Trade Center. Hmm. And it was like, oh wow, what happened? It was this not really, didn't really equate. It was more like, oh, there must have been an accident and someone flew a plane into the World Trade Center. I mean, yeah, I think we all thought that at the beginning. Right. It kind of seemed that way. And then the more that you couldn't, I could not take my eyes off of the buildings. It was just like deer in the headlights. I was glued to seeing what was going to happen next. And, um, know everyone, myself included, had many, many friends that work down there. Um, when the second plane hit and that plume of of smoke and, and fire went in the air, that was heartbreaking. That was that really it changed my DNA. Uh-huh. And you know in that moment I knew no one could really survive that. And um, it really changed me. i would be prior to that. I was really very much like the it girl at Vogue. And I'm like all into fashion and power and glitz and glamor. And in that moment, it really peeled away as the buildings fell. So did all of kind of my exterior. Um, polish, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I decided in that moment, as many New Yorkers did, to do something meaningful with my life. Not that fashion isn't meaningful, but on a level, you know, on a scale from 1 to 10, not exactly as meaningful as as I wanted to make my life. So um, I had made that decision there and then to really step into who I am. So I started studying more of, of the... Um, Health and, health and wellness people, more of the growth and development people like um, Tony Robbins, Jerry and Esther Hicks, Marianne Williamson. I really was looking at what makes me me and why does that matter and how can I bring that into the world in a way that really makes a difference.
1: Mm-hmm. Is that what led you to branding and more specifically personal branding for, personal, for uh, mm-hmm. purpose-driven entrepreneurs? Yeah, I think for me, I was looking at, and and when I work with my clients,
0: I do what I do with my clients, basically what I've done with myself over and over, right? Um, Taking that, what makes you unique? Um, How do you take bits and pieces of your personality and just the right amounts of quirkiness or just the right amounts of seriousness or just the right amounts of humor and then put it, it's kind of a melting of your personality, your point of view, um, your mission in a sense of, I call it your manifesto, what you really care about in your life, what you believe, and then wrapping your talent, skills, and abilities around it or inside of it. So that the first thing that people really see is your brand it's really um, messaged in such a way, the way you look, the way you act, what you say, what your programs are about. All of that is a whole part of the package in branding. People think that, that branding is a logo. No, I want a logo. And I'm like, well, do you know what you stand for? And they're like, no, I just want a logo. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or I just want, I like the colors purple and pink. And I'm like, okay, well, how do they relate to what you stand for or the benefits of working with you or what you're about, you know? So it's, it's all, people come with all these disjointed ideas about what branding really is. To me, branding is really the essence of who you are, packaged in such a way that people can see you before you come into a room and after you leave, that, that sense of who you are and
1: what you do lingers in the room after you're gone. Why is personal branding so important these days? You know, it's become
0: more and more important as our economy has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger, right? So now we're like, we used to, used to be could hang a shingle up and people walk by your storefront, and come in. Or, you know, it's all referrals. You could go to the tennis club, meet a lot of influential people, and build your business from the ground up. Today, everything is global and highly competitive. There's, uh, I think there's more than now, there's more than one billion websites out there. Oh, my goodness. And, yeah, I mean it's crazy, right? And podcasts. I mean, here we are on a podcast show, and there's podcasts. There's all these different ways to market but there's really only one you. And, you know, we've all been taught, especially women to kind of dim our personalities or dim back, you know, step back a bit and not be in the limelight and not be the one that people are looking at or whatever. And it's, and it's just, challenging for most of my entrepreneurs. They're very, very good at what they do. A lot of them are in the healing arts, um, PhD psychologists and uh, chiropractors, doctors, people who are really big hearts and they're helping others. And that's all they really want to do. The idea of branding and marketing, they're like, I don't, you know, most people are like, I don't want to do it. So You know, for me, I try to make it as fun and creative as possible. So it's more like
1: a game, (laughs) actually. You wrote a book with Roz Esposito called Laughing Your Way to Loving Yourself in 12 Steps, Seven Habits, Four Agreements, One Cup of Veggie Soup for the Soul. Just the title is entertaining. What (laughs) inspired you to write that? And who did you have in mind when you and Roz were writing it?
0: Oh, that's such a great question. You know, uh, Roz is a long-time friend. I've probably known her, gosh, 30, 40 years. She's actually, it's funny, I always think she's the writer. Like, you know, when you have friends that have done, you know, she writes plays. She's writing a Broadway musical right now called um, Over the Rainbow. Mm-hmm. And it's um, extraordinary. It's about forgiveness. Oh. Yeah. She and I got together and we're like, let's write let's write a book, you know, everyone's writing a book, let's write a book. And uh, it kind of was a more of a passion project than directly, you know, it's not a business book about branding and and that kind of thing. It's really, from my point of view, I wrote it because as entrepreneurs and people really wanting to do big work in the world, the work that matters that changes, you know, the quality of our lives as human beings, we need a real big dollop of humor (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) to get through the challenges, the disappointments, the, um, you know, all the stuff that happens, that happens to you down your road of, of creating something big or something bigger than yourself. So, um, We decided to, both of us can be very funny, and uh, she's actually a comedy writer, and I'm just a funny person sometimes, and um, so we chose self-help, you know, and as women, I've probably been uh, studying and reading self-help books since I was about 11 years old, I don't know about you, but one of my mentors calls it shelf-help, right, (laughs) a lot of times we're we're consuming information and we're not applying right but we're reading and consuming and having cocktail conversations or whatever so so she and I Rosie and I decided let's take all of that so it was like 12 steps which I love the 12 step programs um four agreements you know the four agreements uh, the book mm mm-hmm. um the veggies, one cup of veggie soup for the soul was really my idea around um, make poking fun at uh, all those books that are, um, you know, for the soul, for the entrepreneur's soul, for the mother's soul, you know, the Jack Canfield series of right, books. Right, the chicken soup. Yeah, the chicken soup books.
1: <laughs>
0: so people are always laughing when they read that and they're like, is there okay, so they want to read the chapter. And I'm like, oh, it's actually a, recipe. <laughs> it's a <real laughs> recipe. But it's like a pinch of, you know, gratitude and two spoons of uh, joy. And, you know, it's kind of like that. Awesome. Yeah, it's a very, very fun book. It's very irreverent. We were lucky to have um, Reverend Michael Beckwith, uh, that a lot of people know from The Secret, wrote a very nice um Little intro for us, you know something or was something like linking heaven and mirth together, or something
1: yeah, I read that, and you actually had a couple other kind of pretty heavy hitters weighing in with endorsements of the book. How did you get the, your book in their hands for them to review it? you know, um,
0: I say this to my clients all the time, and I say this to uh, whoever lis- will listen. When you can inspire another person um, to look at something you're doing and make a comment and be moved by it, you can get them to really help you promote what it is you're doing. So um, Michael Beckwith, actually Roz is an agape practitioner, so she knew him personally.
1: Mm, okay. So-
0: We asked him. I think everybody on that book, uh, we asked personally from our circle of influence. So you want to consider, you might not know someone, but most people in their own personal circle of influence know about 100 to 200 people. So I always say to people when we're in a room together, when there's 40 or more of us in a room, you don't know who's in that room that could actually help you do whatever it is you're up to doing in the world. You have to ask and you have to let people know what you're doing. So part of branding and marketing is really letting people know what you do so that when they come across somebody that can use your services, they think of you to send, you know? So for us, it was like, we looked at our circle of influence and, um, you know, I I know some some fairly influential people, and so does Roz, so we just kind of started asking who would be willing to read the book and give us an endorsement, and that's really how it happened. Wasn't that difficult. I know other people that have reached out to people like Tony Robbins or Jack Canfield um, and asked as well. So really, it's part of part of it is how you ask, um, how you present, you know, um, I'm a bit firm believer in, you don't sell people on things, you enroll them, so it's more of a heart-centered way of working, and I teach my clients in, in my business as well, that it's really about serving someone else, and finding out what somebody else is very interested in, what, What I call, I say, what breaks your heart and what pisses you off
1: Mm -hmm.
0: is very, very important in your communication because that's where people will get uh, connected to you. And when they get connected or a feeling of connection, they're, they're going to do something for you or they're going to ask somebody else to do something for you. Because as human beings, I believe that we all just want to help each other.
1: Yes, I couldn't agree more. You speak on a variety of topics with very intriguing titles. (laughs) Brand yourself brilliantly and market like Madonna, how to influence and stand out in a crowded marketplace. Rock your rebel style, B-Y-O-B, be your own brand, and badass and beautiful. Be big, be bold, be you. Some people hearing that are thinking, wow, those words scare me. I could never (laughs) do that. What would you say to them?
0: I always think scary is good. So, you know, um, I do get that response sometimes. I also get people just laughing their, their ass off because they think it's funny and they, they love that. I think um, when, we are, when we're stretching who we are and growing into who we are, it's uncomfortable And quite frankly, it is scary. It's scary for me and it's scary for anyone. I always say to people, it doesn't matter where you are in your business, when you're up leveling and getting bigger in some way, you have to grow yourself into a leadership role. You have to grow yourself into speaking. You have to grow yourself into networking, whatever it is when you're stepping in like that. it, It is scary there, you know, uh, the biggest thing is to realize it's scary for everyone. It's scary for um, Elon Musk. It's scary for uh, Madonna. It's scary for anyone. Um, when you up level, you always get a bigger devil. So in terms of mindset, you're, to me, you have to constantly be working on the mindset and getting really wise to how you take yourself out of the game. Um, the other thing is to know that it's not about you. I think when people get like, who am I to teach this or who am I to say that, um, that's when they're focusing on themselves. When you get up in your head, that's a place you really don't want to go on by yourself. Uh, the best thing to do is to focus outward. What am I here to cause, What am I here to do? What am I here to serve? What am I here to create for someone else? It makes it much easier to do the things that are uncomfortable. And they're just uncomfortable as long as you haven't done them that much. I mean, I say to people all the time, I speak a lot, and I have stage fright, and they don't believe me. They're just like well you always look so relaxed and you always look so comfortable and you're so funny and you're so informative and I'm like yeah well that's because when I get up on the stage I'm focusing outward I am not focusing in on how do I look how do I feel um, any of that it's really about being of service and what my message is that I've, I've come to bring hmm.
1: What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see people making that you just want to scream at them? No, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) That happens all the time.
0: Have you been up in my brain lately? (laughs) funny. I think, um, gosh, one of the biggest things is to be, is to try to sell. (laughs) Here's my point of view about selling. Everybody wants to buy and nobody wants to be sold to. Mm -hmm. So, you know i see this in networking where you 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 just want to get to know someone and they're pushing their card or their product or oh my thing is so great it's better than everybody else and you're like yeah there's 50 of those or i've heard it before it's 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 really a put off and and um, or if you're on the stage and instead of making offers you know I have to say just a little segue here i believe that there is a a new business uh, way of doing business is happening. I call it conscious business. There's conscious business and then there's regular business and regular business is like, Oh, I'm sure uh, everyone's experienced this, you know, scarcity and making you run to the back of the table to buy something. You can't even remember what it was. Mm -hmm. You buy it and it sits on your shelf and it doesn't go anywhere. Not that it's not a good thing or the people presenting it aren't good people. It's just that that way of doing it, I believe is, is that way of doing it. And the new way of doing it is to really share, spend time with people, understand, you know, who they are and what they need. I always tell people at networking events, um, be the first one to give. Be the first one to give somebody something that's not yours. Like I loved it that you were gonna ask me about the book later. Be, that's not my book. Right. And I'm like, awesome. Cause it's really about sharing. Right. And people, people love that. They love it when you say, Oh, I know a really great plumber that I've used in and, and they're she's totally awesome or he's totally awesome. Then saying, Oh, you know, I do this and you should come and buy it right now because I just met you two seconds ago. <laughs> I mean, really, that's kind of, I mean, isn't that a put off? It totally puts me off.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I always feel like I'm sort of the only one who kind of feels that way. Like, I don't like to be pressured into buying things. If I want it, I'll buy it, whether you ask me if I want to buy it or not.
0: <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I have people calling me up on the phone going, I want to work with you. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, let's have a conversation and see if it's, you know, I have something that you really need, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, Well, we are at that point in the program where I have to ask you, what is one book or resource besides your own that changed your life that you would recommend to people? Oh, that's so great. That's a great segue. So I happen to love,
0: and of course, you know, one of the things that I love is people with points of view. So when they write a book, whether I agree or disagree, I'm excited that I'm hearing something differently uh, than I've heard before, and I'm hearing it with a little bit of a zing or a little bit of a, an edge. So one of my favorite writers—I um, don't know if you're familiar with her—Jen Sincero. Uh huh. Writes, writes these badass books. Yeah. The, the one that's really infl- influenced me, and and I'm, I'm all my clients are reading this right now. It's called "You Are a Badass at Making Money," and. Um, mastermind your master, your mindset of wealth. And I think I love it so much because she's funny and she's irreverent. And, um, you know, money is one of those things for myself and for many other people that kind of makes your palms sweat. (laughs) I have to say, I love making money, you know, money loves me and I love money and you know, Behind all of that, there's lots of other uh, deeply rooted um, beliefs that have come from childhood that put a cap on the amount of money you can make or how you feel about making money or any of that. And I think Jen does a really great job at telling a story putting in exercises so you have the opportunity to take a little time to think about stuff. And when you start to write things, the thing about writing, and I teach my clients to write as well, the reason I have them do all that most of the time is because you discover so much about yourself when you're actually writing it. Talking is okay, but writing, something happens between the hand and the brain. And you start to uncover things that you may not have been aware of hmm. that, might, that are holding you back. You know, I'm of the belief that 90% of everything you do is your mindset hmm. and 10% of it is strategies and tactics.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, you can have the best strategies and tactics, but if your mind isn't in the right place, it's not, it's not going to work. Yeah, people come to me all the time and I tell them a strategy and a tactic and they're like, oh, Anne, that
0: doesn't work for me. I've done it before. And that tells me right away we need to make a shift. They need to make a shift in their mindset. because That's the only reason it doesn't work because this stuff actually works. I mean, you know, this, it's crazy how easy it is. But, but as human beings and myself included, uh, make it harder. Harder than it actually is with resistance, uh, belief systems,
1: all sorts of stuff. It's crazy. We do indeed. And how do you personally define success for yourself? That's such a
0: great question. And I have to say one that I have spent a lot of time thinking about and studying Um. You know, I used to think probably like most people that it was climbing the ladder, climbing up the ladder and being at the top of the pile, like in New York, it's like, you know, clawing your way to the top Mm -hmm. and staying up there. Um, or it's a big bank account. You know, I'm always like, Oh, I want 40,000, 50,000 sitting in my bank account. That's just like unused. (laughs) That'd be awesome. Mm. Um, But success for me, I mean, on a personal level, is really being able to make a difference in somebody's day or make a difference with my clients in their lives and what they're looking to accomplish. When I feel valuable is when um, other people get something. That that they may not have might not have had access to before we had a conversation, before I present an idea, before I give them a, a strategy or a tactic. That to me, and and if it boiled, if I boiled it down to one thing, it's really love. It's being loving to myself and to other people. I think more than anything. I mean, I've had a lot of money in my bank account before. And I was laughing because I said to a friend of mine who's a money coach, I said, I want $40,000 in my bank account. And about a month later, I had $40,000 in my bank account. Awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. I was laughing because it was like, okay, so I have that now. It's not like the level of my success, it's just because I served the people that I served in such a way that they were moved to give me. Love or give me money to learn the things that I can teach them, and
1: and I was I'm just grateful for that. Actually, if people want to find out more about you and your work, how can they do that? Uh, the best way to do that is to hop over to the website,
0: which is um, AnnBennettMarketing dot com. A n n b e n n e t t m a r marketing dot com or reach out to me on facebook i love to talk to people you know whether you work with me or not is not important as as important as connecting and just seeing if i can further you in some way so you know i'm on facebook and p is in paul bennett because i believe there was 2700 of us in the united states that name mm-hmm. um, but I think, you know, and I have free stuff for people and all that, how to, how to unleash your rebel voice and, and different things on the website that they can get for free and start to educate.
1: That would be the best way. So tell me about the rebel voice. What, what does that mean in the work that you do?
0: Well, you know, I believe that we all have a rebel voice, I know some people often say to me, uh, like you were saying, Kate, I'm scared of this, or I'm not really a rebel. But to me, a rebel voice is is really about your point of view that's different. Um, It's about breaking out of the status quo of what you think you should be like, and it's being who you really are. And it's really about anything that limits you in your life, like breaking through that. So your rebel voice is something that sometimes takes a while to reveal to people, or sometimes they start to see it and they don't like it. It's really fascinating when we do this work and branding. Um, But it's essentially, I think, is the voice you came in with as a kid. Do you have any kids? I do not. So, you know, kids, I don't either, but I've been around a lot of children. And um, kids are, my mother used to say this, actually, you know, you came in the way you came in. You're very different than your brother. Mm -hmm. The two of you have different ways of doing things, interpreting what the same thing could happen to me and my brother, and we'd have totally different interpretation, almost like we were raised by different parents. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have the Um, same experience with my brother. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, that's your rebel is what you were originally given. I think it's, it's in your DNA. It is your original thing that makes you so um, unique and that it aligns with your gifts. So a lot of times when people are trying to find their purpose, And they're like, oh, I'm struggling to find my purpose. I'm like, really? (laughs) We can do that in five minutes. (laughs) I'm always laughing about it. But because it's what you've been doing your entire life. I have a thing I teach around storytelling. When you write a story for every decade of your life, you instantly can see instantly your DNA that makes you do what it is you do today. It's fascinating.
1: So that's a rebel voice. Mm. So, it's really your true voice before your upbringing in society and cultural uh, influences kind of stifled it. Yeah.
0: And then, you know, as adults, you want to bring that out because that is the 1% that differentiates you from someone else. So, my stories are mine and my experiences. And, you know, as much as we're all the same, which I also believe we're all the same when you get past the personalities, um, our personality styles and how we learn and what we care about, all of that is comes together in the rebel voice. So if people want to actually know how to do that or begin to look at it, I have this freebie that I give people called... Um, Unleash your rebel voice or discover your rebel voice. I think they can get on the website or if they reach out to me, I'll send it to them. Um, It's just a simple series of questions. It's like 10 questions like who's your favorite cartoon character? Who's your favorite character in history? All these things start to allow you to look deeper Mm -hmm. into who you actually are.
1: Mm. So what's next for Ann Bennett?
0: (laughs) I have, um, That's funny you should ask me that because I have, you know, I've been in business now about seven, eight years and I, I tell my clients I've probably made every single mistake in the book and I'm still successful. So I know that it's possible for anyone. Um, I have, I'm doing a lot of speaking I'm going to be emceeing at the public speakers association in Las Vegas next week. You know, I've been sharing the stage with Les Brown and speaking at different events. Um, and keeping it really simple. You know, I said to my clients, listen, you know, you can do one or two things and make six figures and just rinse and repeat.
1: Mm hmm.
0: You don't necessarily have to build an empire unless you want to build an empire and learn how to manage a bunch of people. But for me, I'd rather be free and be able to travel and enjoy.
1: So that's what I'm up to. Well, Ann Bennett, international speaker, best selling author, coach, and brand profit builder, thanks so much for sharing your story with us today. Thank you, Kate. Thanks for
0: listening. This
1: is the EWN
0: Podcast Network.
1: Thanks for joining us. Back now with your host, Kate Fessler. This is the second time in almost as many weeks that being unapologetically you has come up. It's a bit sad that we've been conditioned to apologize for being who we are, if that falls outside of what we think the expectation is. That being said, I do want to caution you about using that as an excuse. I've heard it said many times, that's just who I am. To justify bad behavior or unhelpful thought patterns. It's okay to go against the grain as long as it's in service of becoming a better person. It's never okay to belittle ourselves or anyone else for being truly who we are, as that is, I think, what the whole purpose of life is, to grow into your true self. Well, there you have it, the meaning of life. Either that or 42. If you have something to add to the conversation, please leave a comment on my Facebook page, First Class Life Solutions. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give it a rating wherever you listen. Follow the show to be notified of upcoming episodes, and please tell your friends. What's your story? If you'd like to share it on this podcast to inspire others, please click on the link on the show page and fill out the survey. If it seems like a good fit, I'll be in touch. This week, I'll leave you with a quote from the book, Letting Go of the Status Quo, by Julie Simmons and Andrea Corso. When you are going through any life change and taking steps to let go of the status quo, you need the right people to encourage you, not the naysayers who cause you to question what you're doing. Sometimes you must let go of those who keep you in the status quo. It's important to keep away from people who are fearful of what you want to do or who come up with every reason why you shouldn't do it, even if they are lifetime friends and even if they are in your tribe. It doesn't mean they disappear from your life. You just distance yourself for a while until you are comfortable enough with your progress that their negativity does not have an impact on you. Good advice. I hope you'll join me next week for another interview with an inspiring woman. Until then, cheers to your authentic first-class life. I'm Kate Fessler. Thanks for listening to Change, Redefining Success.
0: is the EWN Podcast Network. I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of EWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN Podcast hosts at EWNPodcastNetwork.com.